The OAM Network is an independently run podcast and live production company in Memphis, Tennessee. TheOAMNetwork.com. Power to the podcast. Welcome to The Permanent Record. I'm Josh Spickler, Executive Director of Just City. We're a nonprofit criminal justice reform organization based in Memphis, Tennessee. And The Permanent Record is our podcast. It's about the criminal justice system and how we can work together to make it work better for everyone. Today's guest is Mark Lotney. We first discovered Mark when The Marshall Project did a story on his art exhibit, Prison Portraits. We've developed a friendship with Mark since then and decided it was time to have him on the podcast. Not sure why we didn't think of that sooner. As you'll quickly figure out, recording this episode presented some technical challenges beyond those of social distancing and remote recordings, but we wanted you to hear as much of our exchange as possible. Mark, why don't you just talk about real quick um, how you got connected with Just City and with Katie? I think that would be uh, interesting to hear because I don't know if I know the full story. Sure. Yeah, so um, it was 2018, and an article about my Pyrrhic Defeat Portrait Project ran in uh, the Marshall Project's website, and it was also in the Paris Review. And I believe what connected us was that Katie read that that article, and um, it sparked an interest in in that project, and then she reached out um, via, I think it was mail. Was it mail, Katie? I think I think... It was, or I think it was actually my Instagram page. My mom is uh, the the administrator of my Instagram page, and Katie sent the message to my mother. And then I explained that uh, we could connect through email, and Katie sent an email. And uh, we've been building a great uh, friendship, and she's an excellent ally. And for the past two years, we've been talking about all the work that you guys have been doing and then all about my project, too, and all the growth that it's making. Yeah, it feels like since that 2018 story, which I remember, um, you have uh, uh, grown in uh, in popularity. Uh, that's great. Well, so folks didn't hear this uh, because I don't think we were recording quite yet when we started this call, but... Uh, it was a recording that said, this is a phone call from the Pennsylvania State Correctional Institute, Dallas. Mark, will you tell us where you live and how long you've lived there? Uh, just tell us a little bit about where you are right now. Sure. So that recording will come back on two more times within the next two minutes. You'll hear it. Uh, I'm in Dallas, Pennsylvania, and uh, I'm doing a 10 to 30 year sentence for a crime that I'm very, very sorry for. Uh, I feel very terrible still to this day about the people that I hurt. I'm in prison for starting a fire that hurt a few people, and I'm sorry every day for that. Uh, but um, Northeast Pennsylvania is where I'm at. Northeast Pennsylvania. So what's the nearest big city? Uh, the nearest uh, city is Wilkesbury actually to where I am. This is a call right from Pennsylvania State Correctional Institution, Dallas. This call is subject to recording and monitoring. There she is. So it's kind of in the conurbation of the Scranton area. It's uh, about 15 miles southwest of Scranton, which is northeast. 
Yeah. Hey, how we're talking to you uh, near the end of May, uh, and you've been there since the beginning of the coronavirus outbreak. How has life in prison changed and what's it been like during uh, this coronavirus pandemic? Right. Uh, so actually, the measures that are in place now, which is a lockdown situation that we're in, um, I'm actually I, I much prefer the way that things are now locked down versus if we were wide open and the, the risk of spread of the virus was uh, something that we would have to worry about. But as it is now, uh, we're, we're pretty much locked down. We, we don't leave ourselves much. The food come to us, comes to us on the block. We're fed on the block. Uh, there's no work lines or um, education lines that run. And um, for the most part, uh, the administration is really doing a great job at keeping us safe and keeping us uh, like morale up, which I, I'm I'm very grateful for. Give us an ex- give us an example, Mark, of how that how they're doing that, how they're keeping your morale up, because that, that does sound like a challenging thing. If everyone's locked down and life is sort of on hold, how do they do things that keep your morale up? Yeah, I'm sure it's very challenging for them, but uh, I mean, the alternative is having a whole bunch of people die inside these prisons, and because it's just a, it's essentially a landlocked cruise ship i mean it would spread through here like wildfire but uh what they what they've done is they've given us five free phone calls per week they give us uh five free emails uh they started this is uh, a call from pennsylvania state correctional institution dallas this call is subject to recording and monitoring we can't really get out much to exercise or do any kind of physical activities outside of the cell but um that doesn't prevent us from doing things in ourselves uh, we still have activities that we could do. The activities department um, will send us. Uh, we actually we get to do bingo. They they started a bingo uh, routine where they every week they have a, a bingo game. So I mean there are things to keep our minds occupied. But um, we can't wait to get back to normal. But uh, we also can't wait to get back to normal safely. So uh, I'm I'm happy that they're doing things the way that they're doing them. Yeah, sounds like it. I feel like uh, we could do an entire conversation about about that, but I want to get to the real reason that we wanted to talk to you, and that's your your drawing, your art. Um, how, when did you start uh, drawing or painting, or, or when did you realize you had a, a talent to to put things down on on paper like that? Uh, well, th- thank you for asking that. Um, I, I, the first documented drawing that I did was shortly before my third birthday. But I didn't really get serious about it until I was three, I think. And I started stealing my aunt's uh, nail polish and painting on the walls. And um, that's when I, I, that it was my first memory was when I was three and it was of drawing on the walls. So I was drawing from a young age, but um, I didn't think of it as a career path until very recently, probably within the last uh, 10 years. What what inspired you uh, as a child when you would uh, when you would create art? What what what, uh, what were your subjects? What what kinds of things did you did you create? Well, I loved bugs. I've always loved bugs, insects, and animals. Um, and color always grabbed my attention. I think every young child is attracted to color, but uh, that's why I really had an affinity for the nail polish, and I'd, I'd rummage through her drawers and. Uh, kind of like make graffiti on our walls. So um, that's how I, I was introduced to 
to color and and be and and that's probably when I got the first idea that I can actually make fun things for myself. So uh, it started when I was three, and then throughout high school, um, my uh, the only class that I had straight A's in was art. So when it came time to pick uh, what I was going to do for college, it only made sense that I would follow that path. And where did where did you go to college? Uh, so it was a, it's a school in Scranton called Marywood University. I spent two and a half years there, but uh, I wasn't very mature at that time, so I, I kind of lost interest quickly. And after about two and a half years, I just kind of fizzled out and never got the degree. But uh, I did learn enough while I was there to carry me through and then to build my own practice and kind of learn as a self-taught artist from that foundation that I was given, which definitely helped. Yeah, and and just I'll just throw this in real quick. People who are listening to this, maybe on a phone or a computer, can actually go to your Instagram uh, account right now and see some of exactly what you're talking about, which might be fun. So give them uh, give them your Instagram address, Mark. Sure, it's Latney Art. It's spelled L O U G H N E Y Art. Or they could just Google uh, Latney drawings or Latney paintings, Latney Art, and uh, the Pyrrhic defeat project could be seen or and read about even if you just google the words prison portraits i think that's the first article that comes up yeah and let's talk a little bit about that because it's really um you know i guess what caught the marshall project's eye what ultimately caught our eye um and it's it's if you don't mind me saying i'm not an art critic at all but it's very different from the things that you describe and some of the other art we can see on your on your instagram account for, for example you know wildly colorful imaginative things uh the the sketches that you do of the people around you uh, are very, you know, sort of simple and very realistic, which is, I think, what gives their power. How did you make that switch? What what led you to start drawing the people around you? And was that easy? And have people, were they accepting of that initially? Or how did that come about? So it was gradual, the way that I kind of eased into that. Initially, when I first came to prison, I was doing sittings with guys, and they were by request, so that they could have something to mail their family in lieu of a photograph because you can't have a camera in prison. So they made for great gifts. And, uh, after I did a couple hundred of them for people for gifts, I realized that it would make a super powerful statement if I collected them all. Although I didn't really have a clear direction of where I wanted to go with the project that kind of came, uh, later on, I just had faith that it would find its own way. And, um, this morning, I actually did three sittings, and that would be, I'm up to 557 portraits now. And, and the more that I do, and the more traction that the project gains, the more uh, easily it is to get guys to sit for the project. Uh, because at first, I think guys were kind of leery about what the intention was for it, but now that they realize that it, it, it's, uh, it is what it is, they're definitely eager to, to be part of it. Well, since you just just did three this morning, describe that for us. I mean, people have all sorts of ideas about what it's like to live inside a prison, but and especially you mentioned you're on lockdown. So, how do you do three sketches in a morning? Tell us how that worked. Sure. So, uh, since we're on this lockdown, it's very hard to get access to other guys. We can't really see very many other people, so we have to do it really quickly and on the fly. So uh, this morning when they served breakfast, I quickly sketched a guy. It took about 15 minutes. And um, then again at lunch, when they did lunch, 
uh, we just sat down, plopped down and, uh, got right to it. Um, uh, all the, the ones that I've been doing recently are all with masks on. Everybody's got to wear a mask here. So it kind of, it shaves off about five minutes of drawing time because I don't have to worry about drawing the nose or the mouth. But, uh, so we're, we're able to squeak them by a little bit more quickly because of that, which is pretty cool. And, uh, I think it adds a little bit more of a, a contemporary twist to, to the whole project now about the sign of the times, uh, being able to see, uh, that we too in prison are experiencing the very same things that the rest of the world is experiencing. And we're trying to take the same measures, but, um, it's, although it's a little different, we don't have the, the, uh, safety products at hand that many would, we still have at least something that we can grab onto, which is like the masks, hand washing, things like that. So, um, it, it's interesting to get these done with the masks on, and I'm looking forward to doing a lot more like that. Yeah, and that will be a fascinating uh, way of, of well marking time. <laughs> as as uh, my next question is about that, but you'll be able to see, you know, this this era uh, in the in the work itself. So, talk about y- how you you went from this realization that the, the the sheer number, the sheer volume of these images uh, would be a, a really powerful story. How did you go from that to getting someone on the outside to realize that? And then, how do you get those? images to people on the outside who can uh, exhibit them or, or distribute them mm-hmm. to the rest of us. We just hit Uh-oh. the minute mark, so when it cuts yeah. off, I'll be able to call back in an hour if that's okay, if you would like me to. Yeah, absolutely, and we'll just pick right up and, and maybe even don't even answer that question right now. Just uh, we'll, uh, we'll start with that when we get back on the phone with you. Uh, thanks so much. This was great. I can't wait for our next uh, 15 minutes, and uh, uh, we'll be on the, on the phone, I guess, an hour from now. Is that correct? Yep. Yep, I'll call you around one fifteen. Josh, Katie, you guys are awesome. I can't wait to talk to you a little bit more. Thank Perfect. you so much for everything. Yeah, thank you, Mark. Thank you for using Securus. Goodbye. That was part one of our interview. Every part of Mark's life is subject to prison regulations. And he can only talk on the phone for 15 minutes at a time, and his calls have to be at least an hour apart. Not to be deterred, Mark called back an hour later, and we picked up right where we left off. Hey, Mark, I think I just want to get you to start answering that last question, which I think was about how you went from, um, you know, doing these inside and having this realization that the the, the volume of, of drawings that you were doing would be, be really powerful if presented uh, altogether. How it went from that idea where you are to, you know, the pages of the Marshall Project and the walls of, uh, of MoMA. How did that happen? Right. Okay, so after I acquired or accumulated um, about 20 or 25 of the portraits. I just, I taped them to my wall just to, to get a look at the work that I had done. And standing in my cell in front of just even a, a small number of them, it, it evoked such feeling in me. Like I was feeling such energy coming from these. This is a call from Pennsylvania State Correctional Institution, Dallas. This call is subject to recording and monitoring. Just 25 of them were, were really overwhelming to me. And I, and I realized that, uh, people need to see, to see that we are, uh, people still in prison and, and that, uh, even though we're somewhat voiceless, that we could still have, a bit of a voice in a way. So, um, 
a friend offered to show about a hundred of them at her studio in Dunmore. And uh, I sent them out to my mom, who, uh, without her, I got to say, I, none of this would be happening whatsoever. If it wasn't for my mom and what a saint she is and all the help that she's given me and, and my father. But um, that's who I sent them to. I, I sent them to my mom, and then my mom gets them scanned at uh, a, a super high-definition scanner. This, this guy that she goes to is one of the best on the East Coast. So she she goes out of her way to help to uh, bring this bring my work out to the world. So that's how that gets out to the world. But um, I, I realized that there there is potential when I when I saw them taped to my wall and I felt that feeling of uh, just um, it was overwhelming. So the response that we got from that first show of a hundred pieces was very positive and people were really moved. And from there, word spread, and uh, the project grew. The next show was 250 pieces, and then that's when the uh, Vera Institute took notice of it, and the Vera Institute told somebody at the Marshall Project, and the word started to spread. And now the This is a call from Pennsylvania State Correctional Institution, Dallas. This call is subject to recording and monitoring. And now we're over 500 pieces, so um, it's getting bigger by the day. And hopefully, I'll have about a thousand by the time I leave here, and we'll be able to really make a very powerful statement. Yeah, I sure hope so. Uh, I sure hope so. Tell me uh, about experiencing art. Um, we we've talked a lot about how you produce it and how you started, uh, and how people became aware of your art. But what kind of art can you experience when you're living on the inside like that? And what's your favorite kind of art to experience? Uh, right, so art on the inside is made a bit differently than art on the outside. We're under very strict parameters of what we can and cannot have or do, and there's constant supervision. There's always uh, a regimented schedule that we have to um, work within. So it's rare that uh, that more than any more than about two hours chunk of time can be devoted to any one thing because. There's constantly something that's going to come up, a buzzer will ring that will make us do something or go somewhere. So we have to work within time constraints. So art making itself is affected in all these ways that wouldn't really affect an artist on the outside. But the way that art is experienced in here is also different. Um, I think the lack of color uh, in our surroundings, lack of stimulus around us, um, it kind of affects the output of an artist. Yeah, you know, a lot of what you'll see are, are drawings that guys make with just a regular number two pencil on regular copy paper. <laughs> um, but there are a, the occasional artists here and there that get their hands on some paint and they're able to make colored paintings and, and they end up mostly conceptual paintings. And uh, a lot of a lot of the color is invented color schemes. Um, that's as far as the art itself, like the form of the art. Right, right. But as far as the experience of, of art, um, I can tell you from, from my own experience that nothing will bridge a gap more quickly than art. Hmm. Uh, I made friends in here with guys who I would probably never, ever talk to because maybe I'd be afraid of, of approaching them or they'd be afraid of approaching me. 
but then when I when they see me drawing, they'll come over and we'll start start a conversation. And uh, friendships are built that way. And there's a community that's built around the art. And uh, that has, for me, I, I've been so fortunate that the best experience that I've experienced in prison from my art is the connections that I've made from it, and the support and people who have been interested in it. So that's really been pivotal and. Um, in, in my redemptive process and I'm extremely grateful for that. Yeah. I think that's one of the absolutes about art, that, that like no matter where you are and what, even what kind of art or where it's produced or how it's produced, I think that's exactly true for me and anyone else who experiences art, wherever they experiences it, it wherever they experience it is that it binds people together. And so, uh, wow, that's a, that's an amazing answer. Um, I do notice in your uh, in on your Instagram uh, feed that you have a lot of photo or a lot of uh, drawings and paintings of musicians. Um, in particular, I noted John Prine, who unfortunately passed away as a result of the coronavirus recently, and it probably is what uh, resulted in that post being on Instagram. But what is it about musicians and, and painting them? Where did that start? Why do you do that? So, well, that's a great question. I appreciate that you asked that. I am a Grateful Dead fan to the bone. Uh, I, I believe crimson, white, and indigo. And uh, nothing touches me the way that a Jerry Garcia guitar solo touches me. So uh, before I came to prison, I was leafing through a book of Grateful Dead photography by Jay Blakesburg. He's an amazing photographer. And I thought it would be really cool if I could draw these amazing pictures that are in this book. If I could kind of put my own twist to them, but, uh, but use these photos to do that. So I gave a call to the number that was in the back of the book and Jay himself answered the phone and we kicked off what began the, yeah, a great friendship. And it's from his photography that I make all of my musician portraits. So the hard part for me when I do the musician portraits is already done all the composition and, uh, all that thought process is something that I don't have to worry about uh, putting into the drawing because he already did that. But then I collaborate with the piece that he already made, and then I put my own sort of psychedelic twist to it with the color scheme and the cropping that I do a little bit to kind of make it uh, more my own. But that's how that whole body work got started was just with a simple call to an amazing guy, an amazing photographer, and both of our love for music. Uh, the John Prime piece, I drew that actually about a year and a half ago. And uh, it was such a sad thing to hear that he passed away because he was so talented and such an amazing guy and he touched so many lives. And to see that he was taken by this pandemic is really awful. So, um, yeah, when, when I heard about that, I, uh, I had that piece posted again. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Um, do you get to listen to music? I do actually. We're allowed to buy a, uh, it's, a, it's like a little seven-inch tablet that uh, serves as an email, um, MP3 player, uh, games. We can buy games on it. So um, I have one of those, and uh, we download music for two bucks a pop, two two dollars songs. And mine is just chock full of Grateful Dead, Fish, uh, Pink Floyd, the Disco Biscuits, and all lot of. Uh, out of that genre, the jam band. Yeah, that's great. That's great. We could do we could do another episode about that. I could talk to you some about that. Well, but I have a couple more questions 
I have a couple more questions before the lady tells us our time's up. What do you wish that people knew about you uh, and your experience that's not related to your art? You know, you're, you're sort of known to the outside world as, as this artist. What do you What do you want us to know about you? Uh, yeah, thank you for asking that. Um, so I think I would like people to realize that people on the inside, prisoners, we're also people. And it wasn't until... Um, people on the outside started taking me and taking my art seriously that I was truly able to kind of forgive myself and see a redemptive quality within myself and then I began to love myself and then I began to thus forgive other people and love other people and it truly brought about an amazing change in me and I think uh, if I didn't have that I would probably just another guy sitting around in jail and uh, probably not really knowing what to do with my time and really not making the changes that I needed to make to better myself. But because of other people and take, because of other people taking a chance on me and seeing in me things that are lovable and redeemable, I was able to do that. So I just wanted to remind people who are listening that um, just because a person makes a mistake in their life that might bring them to prison, uh, that doesn't cancel out all the other good things that they are or that they could be. And sometimes it just takes somebody taking a chance on somebody to really make that that switch for someone, especially somebody who's in a, a place like this. Yeah. And that's a theme that we've, we've heard on this podcast. It's a theme throughout any um, documentary or, or real in-depth conversation about people who live behind the walls is that, the work that they do in, in, in to, for themselves, inside themselves, is what it allows them to do transformational things like the art that you're you're doing. Thanks for sharing that with us. I really appreciate it. And then, and then here's a final question that we we kind of ask everyone. Left. Uh oh, and you're going to have to do it fast. It's what role do do redemption uh, and mercy play in the criminal justice system? Right. Great question. So unfortunately, it's not embedded within the system itself. It doesn't really play a part in any of the decision making that they make. But it should. And if it did, I think um, you'd see a lot more healing of people who would. And I think the recidivism rate would just nosedive if there were mercy and redemption um, put into the criminal justice system's policy making. But then again, I think that would crumble the system because people wouldn't be coming to jail. So the way that things are now without the mercy and the redemptive process installed in the sentencing guidelines and, you know, the, throughout the course of the criminal justice system, it kind of keeps the status quo up, which is pretty much what Pyrrhic defeat theory is all about. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you, Josh. Goodbye. That was Mark Lotney on The Permanent Record. I hate that the interview had to end so abruptly. That was a brief glimpse into what it's like trying to keep in touch with someone who's incarcerated. To learn more about Mark's work, follow at Lotney Art. That's L-O-U-G-H-N-E-Y-A-R-T. Lotney Art on Instagram. And read the Marshall Project's piece titled Prison Portraits. And order a copy of the book, Marking Time. Art in the Age of Mass Incarceration. We also asked Mark to select three pieces for us to sell on our website. 
Head to justcity901.squarespace.com and check them out. That's justcity901.squarespace.com. Special thanks to Katie Raines for helping produce this episode. And always thanks to Carla and Gilworth at the OAM Network for their support of the podcasting community in Memphis. Even amidst the new challenges we face, they're doing amazing work. According to Gil, he used all the technologies to make this episode possible. Check out some of their other shows at theoamnetwork.com. Jeff Hewlett wrote and performs She Got Gone, the original music for the permanent record. Jeff has also been working during quarantine. Visit his Bandcamp page for a new album of songs written and recorded during the quarantine. I'm Josh Spickler, and this is The Permanent Record, a production of Just City. Learn more about our work at justcity.org and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at JustCity901. We recorded this during COVID-19, and right now we're doing all we can to get folks safely out of jail so they can protect themselves from the virus. Learn more about our COVID response and give at justcity.org slash COVID-19. Make sure you're subscribing to The Permanent Record somewhere. Give us a rating and a review. It helps build our audience. In a Just City, we listen and we speak up. Our thanks to you for doing both. The OAM Network is an independently run podcast and live production company in Memphis, Tennessee. TheOAMNetwork.com. Power to the podcast.